This is a Sunday message from New Community Church in London. To discover more about New Community, visit newcom.church. It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer It's the most wonderful time of the year It's the happiest season of all With those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings When friends come to call It's the happiest season of all Marshmallows for toasting and caroling out in the snow. There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. It's the most wonderful time of the year. There'll be much mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near. It's the most wonderful time of the year. All right, all right. The most wonderful time of the year. Who is excited for Christmas? Who's excited for Christmas? Now, I want, uh, not, not too many, you've got about a third of the room. Who, uh, be honest, who started playing Christmas music already? Come on, be honest. You've got a couple, a few, uh, slightly ashamed. No, Ruben definitely hasn't. He's, he's not up for it. <laughs> yeah, we've got the Grinch on the front row, which is nice. Um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely have not started playing Christmas music yet. For me, I'm, you may or may not know, I'm half American. And uh, in America, for a lot of people, Christmas doesn't start until Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is this coming Thursday. And uh, if you want to celebrate, do enjoy the turkey and uh, send me some photos. But uh, the thing I find really interesting about Thanksgiving now, you may know this, is that uh, it's been overtaken by another event that happens the next day. Does anyone know what this is? Black Friday. Now, you might have seen the, the videos on YouTube of like grannies resting over a TV and kind of people just desperate trying to get their latest deals. And uh, unfortunately, that kind of uh, thing has now moved over to the UK. And Black Friday is a huge thing here, too. Now, I love a deal as much as the next person. Oh, it's getting boomy in here by the sound of it. Is that a bit boomy? No? It's all right. Okay, cool. I'll keep going. Uh, I enjoy a deal as much as the next person, uh, but I think it's slightly ironic that an event, Thanksgiving, that was meant to be all about being thankful for all that we have and being grateful for all we've been given has now been overshadowed by this event, which is all about getting more stuff and more stuff and more stuff, even if you have to punch a granny to get to it. <laughs> now, we say that money doesn't buy happiness, But we don't really believe that. Come on, let's be honest. We all want more money. We all want more stuff. We want the bigger house, the nicer car, the latest technology. Whatever that thing is for you, we want more of it. And that's what's going to give us happiness. Rob Berger from the uh, Forbes magazine says this. The best thing money can buy is financial 
Freedom. Freedom. That's what we want, isn't it? Freedom, blessing, the good life. And we know how to get it. It's to get more, right? We want more. So is it working? Is it working, this desire for more and more and more? Well, we live in a very wealthy nation. And the question is, has money brought us happiness? Has it brought us freedom? Has it brought us true contentment? Ultimately, that's what we want. We want that freedom, that security, that joy, the good life. And now we're starting to talk the language of Jesus. See, Jesus' aim, Jesus' teaching, his goal was all about bringing us freedom. Freedom, joy, security, happiness. So what does Jesus say is the secret to a rich life, or what he would call life, and life to the full? Let's look at some of the things Jesus said. Firstly, it is more blessed to give than receive. Okay, I know I meant to believe that, but I probably don't. Uh, next, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. That, again, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, next, do not, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. Okay, none of us live like that. Uh, okay, next, blessed are the poor and woe to you who are rich. Okay, that's, I'm guessing that was a translation error that happened in that one. Um, and uh, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Now, I don't know if Jesus realized you can't really say stuff like that anymore. <laughs> now, at one point, there's a story actually of a, a rich young guy who comes to, uh, to him and says, look, I'm a good religious man. I follow all the commands and you know, I want to have eternal life, eternal treasures. Have, have I ticked all the boxes? Am I doing it right? And Jesus says, amazing, that's great. Just one final thing and then you have all the treasures you would want. He says, you lack one thing, go. Sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And this guy who says, I would give everything, says, well, no, I can't give that. And he leaves. So why does Jesus say all those things? Why does he say all those things? Why does he say things that are completely countercultural to what we have in our world now? completely upside down to what even within us feels like the way to get happiness. Because Jesus says he's all about our freedom. So how, how is that compatible with the things he says about money? Is it that he wants our money? Is it that he's trying to start some kind of pyramid scheme? And it's kind of like Jesus comes in with his white suit and he says, look, if you invest in Jesus Christ ministries, I will return your gift 100-fold. Is that what Jesus says? Is that what he tried to set up like one of those televangelists with the little phone number you call to get your, you know, your blessings from heaven? No. Jesus didn't come in some swanky chariot, the equivalent of, you know, the Bentley back in the day. He didn't wear the white suit. He didn't have some crown with jewels. No, he never owned a mansion, never owned a house. Instead of a crown of jewels, he had a crown of thorns. So... Why does Jesus say these things? Does he need our money? 
We heard it in our worship. God is the one who has cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need our money. So why say these things about money? Does Jesus want our money? No. He wants our hearts. He wants our hearts. He came to teach that if you want true freedom, it has nothing really to do with what money you do or don't have. It's all about your heart. So let's look at what Jesus taught on this in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot serve God and money. Jesus is saying that we were all created to worship. You and me, each one of us were created to worship. Now you might say, look, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm an agnostic, I'm an atheist. How am I created to worship? I'm not a religious person. Well, what does it mean to worship? To worship something is to say that this thing, this person or thing or belief system, this thing will give me joy. This will give me what I want. This thing will give me the life I long for. And so when we worship something, we will say, I will give whatever it takes to get more of you. You're my savior. You're my foundation. You're my hiding place. And so I will give whatever I can. I will sacrifice whatever I have to. I'll change my diary. I'll change my dreams. I'll change my devotion to have more of you. And the Bible teaches if teaches that if God is not your God, if God is not the one you worship, then you will set something up in God's place to worship. And for some, that is a, a, a literal idol. We call this idolatry. You build an idol. You, you may have seen idols. You think, oh, you know, that's for other parts of the world, other cultures. But God also teaches that we can also make an idol. We can also worship and serve money. What does it look like when we worship money then? What does that look like really practically? Well, when you serve, when you worship money, you say, I will do whatever I have to to get more of you because you are the one that gives me my peace, my joy, my contentment. I'll do whatever it takes to get more. I'll sacrifice my time and work crazy hours. I'll sacrifice a colleague if I have to, if it means I get that promotion. I'll cut corners, I'll dodge taxes, I'll fudge numbers, I'll, 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 I'll sacrifice morality if I get more. I'll sacrifice rest. I'll sacrifice time with my family. I might say I'm doing it for them, but really it's because I want more money. I will give anything for it. I just need, I just want more. But the problem with money is we never really have quite as much as we need or want. 
And that's the problem with any idol that we make in our life. Any God that we have if isn't the true and living God who gives to us because ultimately an idol can never truly satisfy. It's why when you're seeking after, you're pursuing money, it never really is enough. There's always something more that you need. You can speak, I'll never forget speaking to a multi, multi-millionaire who told me they were terrified that they would die poor. They would die without enough. And you think, wait, if I had what you had, I would be content. But no, the more you get, the more you see you need. It is never enough. It's why some of the richest people can be the most sad and anxious. Jesus teaches that true freedom comes when we serve God and not money. It's incompatible to do both because when we serve God, it's an outward thing. It's saying this isn't about me and what I can get, but this is about looking outward, looking at God and giving to him and to other people. But when we worship and serve money, it's not outward, it's inward. It's about what can I get, not give. What can I receive, not give away? And as such, we, as the Bible say, says, are willing to do all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil because we are willing to do whatever it takes, whoever it hurts, to get more. And last year, this kind of all got thrown out into the open, didn't it? Let's be honest. We saw the bankruptcy of our hearts like no other last year. And it started with toilet paper. It started with toilet paper. <laughs> the rumors spread in. <laughs> Is there going to be enough toilet paper? Oh, have you heard co-ops out at the moment? It started with toilet paper. And then we start rushing to the shops and saying, well, I'm not just going to get the normal amount I- I- I'm going to get. I-, I heard there might not be enough, and so I'm going to buy more and more just to stock up to make sure me and my family are never out of toilet paper. And then it moved to pasta and rice and then more and more things. Not because there wasn't enough. No, there was still the same amount of food. We just pulled all the items for me and mine. And it doesn't matter what anyone else have. And the emptiness of the shelves revealed to us the emptiness of our hearts. It was a pretty embarrassing moment for us as a nation. It happened again with petrol more recently. It's not just we had one bad week or year. Now, as a nation, it's not that we're in famine or lack. It's not like I'm coming today as, uh, you know, if we're in a church in a country where we're not even sure if we're going to have food this week, that there's war breaking out, that we're in a real dire strait as a nation financially. No, that's not the case at all. Now, we, we do have needs in our area. As you know, as a church, we support people in the area through food bank and other initiatives to help people in need. There is need even in the neighborhoods around us for sure. Yet at the same time, it's important that we have a realistic and honest picture of the place that we live, the nation that we live in. And the truth is we're an extremely, extremely wealthy nation. As a nation, we're so rich that we have more stuff than we currently have room for. And so rapidly, we're having to build storage units across the whole country. Everywhere you turn, it's like, I'm sure that used to be a church, and now it's a storage unit. We have to constantly build storage units just to make space for all the stuff we have. As a nation, we're so rich that every year we spend, on average per person, £733 on clothes which remain never worn. 
and 1,066 pounds per person on average every year, 1,066 pounds on unused beauty products and toiletries. We now spend millions on virtual clothes and virtual food and virtual cars in computer games and in-app purchases, often for games that after a matter of months we've forgotten all about. We're so rich as a nation that our pets have better health care than billions of people on the planet. We're so rich as a nation that working a full-time job on minimum wage makes you in the top 7% of global earners. We're so rich that every month, thousands of people risk their lives hiding in the back of lorries and clinging to the undersides of trains and risking crossing the channel in flimsy dinghies just to have a chance at the life that we enjoy and take for granted here. Now, should we feel bad for being in a wealthy nation? No. I thank God that we live in a nation like this. I'm so grateful. We should be so, so thankful to have what we have. I'm so grateful that we don't live in a time of famine or war. So grateful. But it's important to be reminded of this, as uncomfortable as it can sometimes be, because we can so easily forget. And to me, this is maybe most starkly revealed in this stat, which will always live with me when I read it. Despite living in one of the wealthiest nations, not just on the planet, let's get the perspective. We live in one of the wealthiest places in the history of all humanity, of all human beings who have ever lived. Despite living in that kind of place, the average Brit, gives half of 1% away to charity. Half of 1%. Now, it's not that we live that way because we, de- we don't know that there is a need. It's not that maybe like 100, 150 years ago, we could say, I had no idea that there were so many people living in poverty. Now, we don't have that one anymore. Or it's, it's not like we say, well, I just don't know. How can I get money to these people? Like, there's just no way. No, we, we can't use that one anymore either. And again, why do we look at this? Because it's a reminder that the way of Jesus is not the way of this world. See, the way of Jesus is that those of us who are blessed with much are to give much. Or in other words, we are blessed to be a blessing. If you have been given much financially, what a blessing. What an opportunity to bless others who have little. This is the way of Jesus. Now, this is powerful, powerful stuff. This is a war over our hearts. It's a war of loves. It's a war of God and money. As God says, as Jesus taught, you can't do both. And there are two significant entities who are fighting desperately for you and your heart. Fighting desperately that you wouldn't be generous, that you wouldn't live in the sacrificial way of Jesus. And first of all, corporations. Corporations. Paul Mazza, a leading Wall Street banker working for the infamous Lehman Brothers, 1927 said, We must shift America from a needs to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things, even before the old have been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality in America. 
Man's desires must overshadow his needs. Do you get what he's saying? This isn't just for 1920s America. This is what's become the norm here in the UK. This is how business understandably operates, how advertisers work. Their goal is to preach a message that you need more. And what you thought was a want is actually a need. You need that new thing. It's not just, you know, it would be nice. No, and, and not just because you don't already have one of those things, but what you have is a little bit old now, and you need the better one. You need the shiny one. And that's the, the world that we live in. And it's now estimated we see over 4,000 adverts every single day. Isn't that mad? 4,000 every day. And advertisers are living in dreamland because with the dawn of technology and algorithms and tailored ads, they can tell you exactly what they think you need to hear. Have you ever had that moment where you're, you're looking out the window and you, uh, you, you see someone and you have something maybe you want, you're like, oh, I like that guy's red jacket. I'm going to get myself a red jacket one day. And then you pick up your phone and you're going through your news feed, your social media feed, and the first advert you see is an advert for a red jacket. And you're like, how do you know this? I've not told anyone about this. I've never written red jacket into Google. And somehow this thing knows I want a red jacket. It's like, China, Russia, are you listening? Mark Zuckerberg. Like, I don't know what's going on, but this thing knows me better than I know myself. But the truth is, and it sounds horrible to say, but it's so true, our hearts are being sold to the highest bidder. We're naive to think that our hearts can't be affected in change. Every year, billions and billions are invested because businesses know full well that our hearts can be changed. Our hearts are being sold to the highest bidder, trying to make us a slave to more. So first, corporations, and secondly... The devil, the devil wants your heart. The last thing that the devil wants for you is to worship God. He's literally hell-bent on doing anything he can do to stop you from giving your heart to God. He'll do whatever it takes. He'll shout, he'll whisper, he'll twist words. And perhaps maybe his most effective method, which seems to work especially well, is the subtle lie the one that he's done from day one. We looked at it a few weeks ago. The question, the lie that says, did God really say? Did he, did he, are you sure he said that? The same lie to Adam and Eve comes to us. Did, did Jesus really say you can't serve God in money? I mean, do you really mean that? I mean, sh- surely as long as you just keep coming along to church and do that thing, like, you're happier when you keep your money. Like, are you sure Jesus said that? It's powerful. And it's very much like with the story of the rich young ruler. Here you have a guy who says, I've done all of the things. I've done all of the, the good godly things you're meant to do. I've obeyed all the commandments. And Jesus says, yeah, that's great, but there's just that one final thing, this, this one thing that has a grip on you. But if you lay that down, you get everything. And this so-called godly man says, I, that's just one step too far. It's kind of like, it's almost like being baptized, being laid into water, but just like, I'm going to keep my wallet out the water, just leave that one up there. You can have everything, Jesus, but not, not that one. 
And I get it. This is a powerful thing. The devil, like Jesus, is fully aware that often the last final hurdle is someone saying, I'm all in, every part for following God. And this has always been a challenge for the people of God, for people wanting to follow him. And I I fully understand, I can relate to it. It's difficult when you live in our current climate. It's difficult when you live in London. I mean, the prices of everything here are just mental, aren't they? It is crazy. Like, if you're renting, I'm there with you. I get it. When you start calculating, like, how much am I paying to my landlord every year? And you go up to the estate agent with, like, shiny windows, and you look at the houses, and you look at the prices, and you're like, how many of my kidneys am I going to have to sell to get one of these things? Or maybe you own a house, and you're like, you know, I'd love to be in a place where I could buy somewhere where my kids could run around in something bigger than a shoebox. Or I could have a space to host people where we're not all having to sit on each other's laps to have a meal. I get it. I get it. Things are crazy. Even this week, articles coming out saying about how the cost of materials are going up and food going up and you can't get Walker's crisps anymore and all these kind of things, you know, that cause us stress. (laughs) I get it. I feel it. And if if you feel that, if that's weighing heavy on you, then the thought of Jesus or some preacher saying to you, you can find freedom in giving, just seems a bit foreign and distant and out of touch with where you're at. But the beautiful, the wonderful message of Jesus is that there is a better way. There is a way to be free from the love of money, the grip of wealth. There is a better way. See, when you know and serve God rather than money, the truth is you may not get wealthy. You may actually have less. But he promises that you will have all that you need. Everything you need will be provided. And while you may not have all the shiny new stuff, what you do get is so much more valuable. The life you live and experience is far, far richer when you live it with him. See, when we are with him, when we live for God, he is the one who satisfies. When we take our eyes off ourselves and onto others, he is the one who gives us true freedom. And Jesus, as we read, talks about treasures in heaven, things of eternal worth. Because the truth is, what you believe about eternity will affect everything about the way you live now. What you believe happens when you die completely changes how you live. What you believe about the value of human life makes all the difference. And if this life is all there is and human beings are just a clump of cells, some accident of biology and atoms and all sorts then giving lavishly and giving sacrificially, I'll be honest, it doesn't really make much sense. I couldn't really give you a decent reason other than, you know, you should feel, you know, you might feel better if you give something away. But God is real. And people are created with God-given dignity. And heaven is a reality. And if that is true, then not giving makes no sense at all. Holding things to ourselves makes no sense at all. Giving lavishly and generously is the thing that truly makes sense. See, the more we understand this, 
the more it is a joy to give. It's not just a pressure. It's not just some heavy burden. It's something that we delight in doing. We say, isn't it amazing that I can give my money to invest in things of true value? I can give it to help this human being who is made in God's image and deserves dignity. I can give my money to invest in the advance of the kingdom of God. My money can make a difference beyond something that will deteriorate and devalue and not matter at all in years to come. I can play my part in the bigger story. See, that's true freedom. That's the life of true riches. So what does it actually look like to be generous? Because whenever we talk about money and things like this, people always come with questions and say, well, how much should I give? What is the norm? What is, uh, you know, the right amount? And the first thing to say is that if you're saying, oh, what should I give? What do I have to give? Then you've probably missed the point a little bit. Because this isn't something we do out of compulsion. The Bible says that. We don't do this out of compulsion. We do it cheerfully, out of our heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And so if your heart is wanting to give, then it's something that is a natural overflow. But at the same time, it's also really helpful to have some practical guidelines. Because all areas of our lives, there are set amounts that we do for this and for that. As much as it would be nice if the gas company would say, you just give what's on your heart this month. It doesn't work like that, (laughs) as much as I wish it did. (laughs) It's good for all of us to have practical things in place so that the things we want to do actually do happen. So what is the right amount? Here's a classic question. Is the right amount to give 10% a tithe? Is that what Christians are meant to give, 10%? Tithing. You might have heard that phrase before. Well, this is based on the understanding of tithing from the Old Testament. And people say, well, I'm not sure if that applies to me now today, as someone who lives in the New Covenant, the New Testament. Well, the first thing to clear up about is that people in the Old Testament didn't give 10%. It's a big misconception that the people in the Old Testament gave 10%. They did give a tithe, but they also gave offerings in various different things throughout the year, that meant they gave roughly, scholars would say, around 23% of what they had. So that was in the Old Testament. So does that still kind of work today? How does that work? Well, some people say, is tithing still a New Testament principle? Or does that still apply to us? Is it 10%? Is it 23%? Well, I would say that from having a look at different scholars, different teachers on this, there's varying opinions on whether it is a sort of New Testament principle or not. But what is clear is that we are to live generous lives. And as people who live on this side of the cross, who see all that Jesus has done for us, all that he's given to us, then our desire is to live grace-filled, generous lives. So just practically, what are some good guidelines? What if you're saying, okay, you said all that, John, that's amazing, but just tell me, how much am I meant to give? Well, you need to work out what generosity looks like in your own life. I can't tell you what the right amount for you individually is to give. But I do think there are some good principles. So for many, a tithe of 10% of of income, I think that is just a good benchmark, a good place to say, look, I, I see kind of the biblical precedent for it. I think this is kind of a good place to start. Amazing. Now for others, maybe you're in a lot of debt or maybe you are just in real poverty at the moment and that might feel an absolute impossibility. The thought of giving 10%, I can understand if you say, look, that just feels so far out of reach. 
And for you, it might be starting with a, a smaller amount, and that's absolutely fine. But for others, 10% will be a lot less than a life of generosity. And so it's not a helpful benchmark. See, being able to increase the percentage we give is one of the real amazing privilege of, privileges of earning more. Some would call this the graduated tithe, meaning that as you earn more, you're able to give a higher percentage of what you have because what you need hasn't massively increased, but what you have coming in is, and so you can give a bigger chunk. The idea being that when you want to live a generous life, we don't first look to increase our standard of living, but our standard of giving. So then, what about where to give? If that's kind of a good principle for how much percentage-wise, what about where to? Again, people say, well, do I give it to church or to charities or kind of what, what is the right thing to do? Well, the Bible is very clear throughout its all teaching that you give to the people of God, to your church family, and that we are to give to and help the poor. That, there's no debate on that. That's very clear. But as for what percentages to give to church or to charity, well, I can't say that is you know, a black and white thing. Again, I think it's a real matter of the heart. For me, many people I know and respect, uh, they have made the decision that they want to give 10% of their income to church. And this makes a lot of sense to me. I, I live this way myself, and I think it's a great principle because where your treasure is, there your heart is. You give your money to the things that you love. And this is my church. This is where God has put me for now. You're my brothers and sisters, whether we know each other massively well or not. We're family. This is our local church family. And I love you. I love this church. And so naturally, I want to give my money to what I love. This is where my heart is. And so I think that's a great principle that I know many people who live by, to give your money, whether you're visiting, you're from another church, and that's given to your local church, giving to where your family is, is so important. And then there are lots of Christians who say, well, I also want to give to uh, needs and areas and individuals outside of a church context. And that is amazing. It's amazing when people say, I want to invest in something uh, that I really have a heart for. And I think a good discipline to make this happen intentionally is, again, to say, um, okay, I'm going to give a set percentage to that. Now, maybe that's just me, and I, I, I'm the type of person who knows that if I don't put that in place, I'm more tempted to just forget about doing it. But I find that really, really helpful, and I know lots of people who do the same. So practically in my life, that looks like putting aside a further 10% on top of my tithe to give to different charities, different organizations, and different individuals in need. So for me, because again, my heart is with uh, these different things, I love to give my money to it. So Open Doors, for example, who I support, an organization that supports Christians who are in prison. I can't, I can't be in prison with them, but I can give my money to help people who can help them in this desperate condition. I love that. It's so fun. I, I love being able to support an organization like Fusion who are trying to get students connected to a local church and share the good news of Jesus with students. I love that. It's so fun to be part of that journey. I love to give. I've got some friends moving to North Africa in a week's time, taking their family to North Africa to a place where it is illegal to share your faith. And they're going to do that, take their whole life in their 30s to this country to share their faith. And it's only possible because of people giving to it. And I love that I can be part of that with them. 
My heart is with them and that vision. And so my treasure just follows. It's so, so fun to do. And giving to church and giving to charities is amazing. It's so fun. Living a life of generosity brings such freedom. And the step for all of us to take who say we want to follow Jesus is to decide what generosity will look like in each of our lives. In 2 Corinthians 9.7 it says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Can I just uh, invite the band up, please? Each one of you should give what you have decided to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I can't tell you what you should give, but I'd encourage you. This is something, not something that you have to do, but something that we get to do as those who are free, living under the grace and generosity of Jesus. And as a church, this is part of our story. We're going through the, the Redig the Well series at the moment, aren't we? It feels like it's been going for months. Well, it has been going for months. <laughs> and every week we're looking at something. Look, this is what we are all about as a church. And generosity and giving financially is part of who we are. The fact that you can sit in this building today, that the lights are on, and the ones that are off, that's for artistic reasons, not because not we couldn't afford the lighting bill or the electricity as much as it's gone up. <laughs> The reasons that we can support people and care for people and share the good news of Jesus is because of years and decades of your generosity. What a privilege it is to be in a family where people have given so, so, so generously. It's amazing. As a younger person, youngish person joining this church and seeing the decades of faithfulness and finances in this church, it's wonderful. It's great to be part of that family. And so I just want to encourage you, we're going we're gonna to finish by singing today. And I really just feel that we, with all of this, it's all about the heart. It's not about twisting your arm and saying, come on, it's not me or someone in church coming around with a little pot and shaking it or guilt tripping you into giving. No, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Jesus doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. And I just want to encourage you, as we sing this last song, we're going to uh, sing a song called Heart of Worship. And it's all about coming back to the heart of why we do what we do. And maybe for some of us this morning, there's been an element of saying, you know, I, I, I know I believe that, but I sort of accidentally or maybe intentionally allowed myself to kind of push money stuff to the side. Jesus wants our freedom. He wants you to be free today from the love of money. And so can I invite you, if you're able, to stand as we sing? And as we sing this song, I'd encourage you to come back to the heart of worship. It's all about Jesus. It's all about you, Jesus. When the music fades And all is stripped away And I simply come Longing just to bring something that's so worth that'll bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. 
You search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it When it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus A king of endless world loved us. That's what the Bible teaches. We love. All that we do is a response. It's an overflow to what Jesus has already done. So we love and we give because he loved and gave. For God so loved, he gave. And that's all what this is about this morning. Our love leads to giving. Giving of our time. Giving of our talent. Giving of our treasure. And there's an invitation this morning. Maybe you're someone who is like, this whole concept of of giving and giving in that kind of way just makes no sense. Well, you can know a love. That means it makes complete sense. A love so lavish, a love so sacrificial, that leads you to want to say, I give it all. You can know that love this morning. Perhaps you're someone who wouldn't call yourself a Christian, or maybe you're someone who would call yourself a Christian, but would say, there's still a part of my heart I haven't given over. Well, you can know the full depth of the love of God for you today. 
So if that's you, if you're saying, I want to be all in for Jesus, whether that's for the first time or just a fresh today, as maybe his challenge has come, his convicting has come into your heart. But I just want to encourage you, just if we could all close our eyes, just to focus our hearts on him. And just as a symbolic gesture, if you're someone who says, I want to have a life of open hands and generosity, can I encourage you just to, to open your hands up in front of you before the Lord? Jesus, we surrender all for you. Every part. Every second. Every penny. Every emotion. We have no God but you. We worship you and you alone. You are our heart's desire. God, we ask that you would make us more aware of your love. Make us more aware of your deep, deep love for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave everything for us. You held nothing back. And so in return, Lord, we want to live for you. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. We love you. Amen. Amen. I'm a big believer in strike while the iron's hot. And so if you feel this morning that God has maybe um, challenged you to make a change, maybe just very practically, you've been putting off for months and I know I need to increase my giving and I'll get around to it, I'll get around to it. That'll encourage you the first thing when you get home, change the standing order. If you're saying, look, I, I really want to live this way, but I'm struggling with debt, then speak to a member of the host team or uh, a member of the leadership team. We'd love to put you in touch with resources to help you live in a way that gets you free from debt. Maybe just say, look, I know all the stuff. I know all the stuff. I just need someone to keep me accountable. Then why not reach out to someone you're with this morning or someone in your community and say, please do keep me accountable on this one because I know I can fall back into the love of money. But this is the way of freedom. This is the way of Jesus. We can go this morning knowing that we have a better way in Him. Amen.